Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, February 5th, 2023. And I'm joined to my south by Chris Gull and to my east by Jesse Collings. Hello to you both. How are you? How are you? Are you staying warm here in the, the, the great northeastern freeze of the last seven days? How's it uh, well, we're thawing out now because it's warmer than it was this weekend. But as I was saying off the air that... The cold finished off my battery, so it's going to get replaced today. But I, I'm stranded at home due to my lack of car at the moment. Thanks to the cold. What did your battery die? It died. Uh, it died. You know, Saturday morning, I suppose. I I, I drove on. I I was driving it like Saturday morning at like one a.m. Um, coming back from my wild weekend adventures, and uh, when I tried to start it the next morning, it was a no go, and it wouldn't even take a jump. So. Now, it was uh, on its last legs. It needs Chris, to be replaced. Chris Golo is a proud member of the Kia family. I think yes. last last time, I think one of my last wrestling shows ever um, on the road, we drove in his Kia SUV of some sort. Is that correct? Yes, Kia Sportage. Still rocking Sportage. it. Yes. I, 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 I guess I will disclose. I, I drive a Toyota Yaris. So not a Prius, but a Yaris. Yeah. Um, Jesse, I'm guessing, is a, some sort of sedan. Um might be might be import no I, I support the economy brandon i drive an american car you drive for you a gm no i have a ford focus ford okay ford focus. you were close with the, you were good on the sedan i was gonna be impressed if you guessed my car without any knowledge whatsoever what it would be i, I was really debating over whether domestic or, or or import but yes um today on the program we have nick Khan's comments to talk about his comments on CNBC following the earnings call. If you're if you're looking for discussion about the W earnings call, which happened last Thursday, I did a talk uh, for about 45 minutes with John Pollock that is in your WrestleNomics Radio and Post Wrestling podcast feed, as well as the Post Wrestling YouTube channel. So we're going to talk about the, the Nick Khan stuff. AEW house shows. AEW's running house shows. They have announced that. Jesse has an article that is on WrestleNomics.com right now for you to read. We'll get into that. And uh, some AEW and WWE numbers, as we will we will we will force AEW to be compared against each other head to head with economic measurements in a moment. But first, we'll go to Nick Khan, who ha- who appeared on CNBC Friday, just after his comments on the earnings call, where he responded to a question from Brandon Ross about is Vince really going to take a deal that's going to end up with him being out of the company? Is that really going to happen? And Nick said, "Yes, absolutely." And then he went on CNBC the next day and uh, talked with David Faber of CNBC and I have the name of, of the other anchor he talked with, uh, David Faber and Morgan Brennan. There's a, there's a third guy on screen, but I don't know that he asked Nick Khan questions. But anyway, here's a, here's a super cut of those comments. But no, Vince has declared to the board, to me, to other uh, upper management, he is 100% open to a transaction where he's not included in the company moving forward. 
I really believe he's looking for the best value for the shareholders. Keep in mind, he's also a large shareholder. He's 77 years old, and I think he's uh, ready to take a look at the landscape. Because I do get pushback on the idea that Vince McMahon would ever step aside. But it's your belief that if the right deal is found, and that's a big if, he would be willing to do so. 100%, without question. Is he involved in content creation? And I ask that because I know Triple H, the man known as Triple H, has been running that uh, in recent months. But there's been some speculation, given his history of being involved very heavily, that he could once again do so. Your research is deep on this. No, he's not involved at all. Vince is not involved at all. Triple H remains our chief content officer. We had our earnings call yesterday afternoon. He was asked that question. He, meaning Triple H, was asked that question and answered it honestly and candidly. Vince has had no interference in it since he left. Since he came back, Triple H is in charge of it, and we have a terrific creative team around him. A couple weeks ago, Wells Fargo said that strategics are likely limited to Netflix, Amazon, and our parent company, Comcast. Do you see it the same way? Well, what do you think of the Comcast thing? Can you make that happen, or we don't? I'm actually hearing probably not. I hate to say it, but at this point, although another name I do hear is Endeavor. The idea of bringing together, for example, UFC and WWE could be very robust. What are your expectations in terms of timing? Quick. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be obtuse in saying that. No, that's okay. But I think it's going to be a pretty fast process, maybe three months. Okay, Chris Gull, you've been watching this TV series, Succession, of late. Is that correct? Yes, I have. Do you you ever notice, like, when they're – I don't know if you've gotten this far into the show. You're probably still on season one, right? No, I'm uh, finishing season two. Wow. You've really binged this. Yes. Do you need intervention? You're binging uh, television? (laughs) So have you got? Have you noticed like there's there are times in that show where people will just talk to each other in these metaphors that seem to be grandiose and wise, but no one knows really what the hell they're talking about. You know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, especially like I'm actually just finished the episode where they're at that big conference with all the business leaders and stuff like that, and there's a lot of that going on. Look, Nikon says Vince is ready to take a look at the landscape. He's ready to take a look at the landscape. What does that mean? It sounds sounds good, doesn't it? He's yeah. ready to, to check out how, how the hedges, how, how the bushes are, are hedged, and, and how the, the lawn is mowed. He's ready to, to take it all into account and survey the situation. I think strategic alternatives is that type of term, too. It's like, look, there's a lot of options. We're looking at them all. I got the impression that strategic alternatives was like maybe a, a, a broader business term. But, but yes, Jesse. Yeah, I think you can tell, like, I find it interesting how careful I think Nikon is with his language when answering questions about, like, you know, would Vince consider stepping down? Would Vince consider a deal that would take him away from control of the company or things like that? Um, and Nikon says things like, Vince is a, he's 100% open to doing a deal that would see him, you know, no longer be with the company in any capacity. Or he says, um, oh, 100%, he'll step aside if the right deal were to emerge. Um, and so you can see that and it's kind of like, okay, yeah, he's open to doing it. That is, doesn't say that he's going to do that and that he'll step aside if the right deal arises. But what is the right deal? Is there a money figure that Vince would take as an offer that would see him step aside? Is there other, you know, the right kind of parent company offering to purchase the company? Would that be enticing? Would that be uh, something that could influence 
Vince on being willing to step aside? Or is this all just protective language for the fact that Vince has no intention of stepping aside and that right now they're just being protective by saying like Vince is considering stepping aside, but there's no guarantee that he actually will. And I thought the words that Nick Khan used were very careful in that regard um, and how he summarized, you know, Vince's willingness to, to, to engage with a potential buyer that would basically remove his influence from the company on a day-to-day basis. So it sounds like you don't believe that Vince will really, the, 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 the argument. Is I don't. That. Okay. Okay. I, I believe that I, I don't think Nikon is lying or, or being inaccurate. I think that there probably is some sort of deal that exists that Vince would take that would see him not in power. I'm a little bit skeptical on the idea that Vince is just here to sell the company and then move on with his life. And, and he's 77 and he's going to, you know, just wants to sell his company and move on. I think that what the likely scenario is if a buyer is found that it will be someone that will be open to keeping Vince McMahon on in the company in an executive role. Um, perhaps there's a number out there that would see him not do that. Perhaps there's, like I said, a parent company, the right buyer, maybe it's Comcast, maybe it's someone else that would Vince would be okay with you know, stepping aside from his role as, as an executive in the company. But I think the language that Nick used was very careful in how he answered questions about whether or not Vince would step aside. He did not, even though he said words like a hundred percent, he did not guarantee that Vince is going to step aside when the right deal pops up. He just said it's an option. He's, he's 100% willing to, um, a hundred percent open to open to the right deal. I think, Vince is saying that. I think Nick is truthful in saying that. That yeah, I don't he think he's lying. told. Yeah, he, that that is what he has told executives in the board. He has, I'm sure, said this in meetings. Um, does Nick believe that? Maybe. Uh, do I believe that Vince believes that? Uh, may, maybe in some roundabout way. Do I think Vince is going to accept a deal that? Uh, really keeps him out of the company if that's the best thing for shareholders yeah i'm I'm pretty skeptical because why is vince back he didn't have to come back what's what's a better deal wwe two months ago when vince was seemingly gone for good or WWE today what are you what are you more interested in buying WWE today with vince forcing his way back on the board or WWE two months ago where vince is apparently permanently gone Right. I think you mentioned this on Twitter earlier this week. That's a good point of the idea is Vince is coming back to sell the company and that Vince coming back in this capacity to help facilitate a sale or explore other strategic alternatives is something that would benefit the company. But it seems like from some of the scuttlebutt we get and some of the comments that are made by people um, who cover the business side of things that at this point, like Vince is a kind of a hindrance to a sale, right? His presence is kind of maybe scaring some potential buyers away, maybe complicating the potential deal that they're going to make, as opposed to if Vince were no longer still in the company and they just wanted to sell. There was an article along with his appearance on CNBC. There was an article online from Alex Sherman that said it was a sticking point. Vince's want to want, want you know, willingness or interest in staying with the company was a sticking point for potential buyers. Be careful. I want to be careful with that and say I, 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 they're not reporting that there have been negotiations and there were specific disagreements. But but it, it at least sounds like there are concerns from potential buyers about whether or not Vince is going to stay, and that's affecting the, the negotiations. How much how much would knowledge would the shareholders have on offers? Like let's say they agree to to sell to someone who keeps Vince in charge, but maybe there was an offer from another company that was more, but 
Vince wasn't part of it. Like, would the shareholders even know that or just the board? The shareholders would not know that. The board, I'm sure, are are aware of that material non-public information. I would think so. Yeah. Um, Did did you find it interesting that he said when someone asked about Vince's role in the creative capacity, you know, obviously Triple H is the public face of WWE creative at the moment. Someone asked, is Triple H involved? And I thought Nick Khan used to, decided to use the term no interference from Vince, which is an interesting choice of words because interference is obviously would be kind of like a negative connotation with Vince being involved. Um, so is he saying that Vince isn't involved at all whatsoever? Nothing. He's doing nothing related to creative. Or is he just saying that Vince hasn't done anything that would maybe conflict with what Triple H wanted to do? I do think that Triple H has kind of hinted at least a little bit at talking to Vince about creative decisions um, and and going to Vince for advice. So in that capacity, Vince still has some sort of influence over creative. Triple H's comment on the earnings call was that it's great to have him back, even at the board level was his specific comment. He has a wealth of knowledge and he's a tremendous resource. Mm -hmm. Triple H is very happy that Vince is back. So he says. Well, he voted him to be back on the board. I mean, after after he, he earlier agreed with the board unanimously that he shouldn't come back. Yes, I, I just want to re- reiterate that one point: that if if Vince's first priority in this situation was truly shareholders' interests, which he is the biggest shareholder, he has more than a third of the shares. If his number one priority was to get the best deal for shareholders, get the best value to the stock, then why did he come back? In the opinion of the board on December 27th, when they wrote the email to Vince saying, we think it's not in the best interest of shareholders for you to come back. Every member of the board of directors at least was apparently willing to, to agree to that unanimously. That includes Nick. That includes Triple H. They, and that includes Stephanie. Um, but now, of, of course, you know, in a, in, a, in a business situation, we're not really sure who's telling the truth when. Uh, they're, they're all you know, happy that he's back. And it's a good thing. He'll do Stephanie it. was elated that he was back. She's told talent that. And then a few days later, she was gone. The um, What did you think of – so Nick Khan asks David Faber mm-hmm. of like what does he think about Comcast as a potential buyer for WWE? Nick Khan kind of turns the table a little bit and asks you know David Faber, what does he think? And David Faber kind of laughs at him and says, oh, I don't – you know I hate to say it, but I don't think it's going to happen. It seems unlikely. What did you think about those comments? Like does David – would David Faber really know – exactly what comcast thoughts are on purchasing well, wwe and he, cnbc he was a, a channel that's owned by C- nbc universal i would think that he has right. some access to people who would know um the alex sherman and article, he's an insider within you know wall street and things like an that he's a professional on, analyst so. yeah. but do you think that i thought that was interesting because i mean obviously comcast is one of the primary potential buyers of wwe we talk about it almost every week and yet dave faber's pretty was 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 i thought fairly certain that it seems unlikely that they're going to be interested in wwe and why is that is it because apprehension about vince is it the was it the roberts family would not want to be associated with a product like wwe as far from an ownership perspective obviously they're associated with it from a content perspective because they're their you know they're their biggest content payer um but i thought that was interesting that you know Faber was just like, ah, yeah, I don't see that happening, which I thought was kind of hilarious because <laughs> Nick Khan was right there and he just basically shot down the idea that Comcast could. So in, in the Alex Sherman article, there's there's 
reporting, according to sources with knowledge, that that uh, I think that NBCU is was not you know a, a likely buyer. And, I, and I've I've been you know skeptical of this since we've been talking about this that that Comcast and NBCU would agree to do this. That that Brian Roberts, who is the the CEO and chairman of Comcast would would agree to it, and I think that there's probably skepticism about just 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 the notion of, of buying a wrestling company and being associated with WWE because it's a fake wrestling sport. That's a stigma, and it's you know do do we really want to have our brand associated with that? As you said, they, they're they're more than happy to have Raw and the Peacock content and NXT and some of the reality shows but maybe not as excited about having to say, this is us, we own this, and we have to manage it. And maybe there's some some wariness about wh- how to manage it and, and who to trust and put in charge of it. Because I think there's a long history of wrestling being mismanaged by parent companies that didn't have a great handle on this industry. Though financially, though, if you look at all the potential buyers, doesn't Comcast, NBC Universal make the most sense with the amount of money they spend on rights absolutely does and also <laughs> ip for universal studios and theme parks too like there is a lot of financial potential and money they're already spending yeah it, it makes a lot of sense which which tells you there must be some pretty strong reasons that have n- nothing to do with that about why they would not want to buy it um Nikon also mentioned in, and I think we played it in the clip, he, he mentioned Vince's age. Vince is 77 years old. Um, if you're Vince McMahon watching that, does, is that something that matters to you? If you're Vince that he's me- mentioning your age, is that, is that a big mistake for, for Nick? Uh, to, to, to mention that, that Vince is now 77 years old and he's ready, ready to maybe step aside. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe that's, uh, you know, we know how, how, how focused on age and the appearance of being young uh, Vince is, and I imagine that Vince, you know, thinks he's going to to live for a long time. I mean, his 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 mother lived to be 101, um, so cu- curious about what the relationship is like between Nick and Vince these days. I think that was just like, oh, he's 77, like to kind of assure people that he wouldn't want to stay in charge of whenever whatever deal they make. But you know, but then if he does, it's like, oh, this guy's impressive. He's almost 80, and he's you know, still in control of this company that was purchased by this, like they'll spin it any way they want. And what would be nice to, to hear, you know, we, we've got Nick Khan saying, you know, secondhand basically through, through Vince, that Vince is willing to make a sale. Um, but where's, where's Vince in all this? Vince McMahon is historically not interested in doing interviews. He's done like, I was think, trying to think the other day about like, okay, he did the McAfee interview uh, about a year ago in March. Um, he, the, his previous sit-down interview was with Steve Austin in December 2014, and I, I'm not aware of when his interview before that would have been. And I'm not talking about, like, quotes in an article. He's given some of those scattered, but some of those. He's done, like, the muscle fitness thing. Was, uh, obviously, there's a written interview with him. But, you know, he's not somebody who's who, who likes to do media, clearly. Um, it would be nice to hear this straight from him. And for him to be asked questions and followed questions by somebody in an interview, don't expect that to happen. But wouldn't that be nice if you're a shareholder to actually hear it from Vince, that Vince is actually prioritizing your interests versus his own interests in staying with the company and staying in control and slow rolling his way, perhaps, back into creative. Um, yeah, I don't expect that to happen. I mean, he's, he didn't appear on the investors call. He was, you know, he there were questions about him, but he didn't appear at all. Um I do wonder, like, what do you think Vince is actually doing? 
Like, do we think Vince is sitting at the negotiating table talking to Endeavor and Comcast in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and any of these other potential investors and hammering out deals? Because he's back to help sell the company. That's officially the word why he's back. Like, what is his day-to-day involvement in that? And what is he actually doing? I don't know. I would be speculating in the dark. He's Obviously, he's, he's the chairman of the board now, so he's involved in any board meetings. And I think they meet like twice a quarter. Um but other than that, who knows? Maybe he's going to, to some meetings. I'm sure he has conversations with Nick Khan frequently would be my, my guess. Um, and Nick Khan puts a, puts a timeline on this. It could be three months. He says, quick, maybe three months. And three months from today is early May. And I can, I can see that being the timeline that they would like to get this done in. Because if they don't have clarity on whether there's going to be a sale by then – then it would be nice to, to know that and so they could go ahead and try to negotiate new TV deals because it sounds like their window with Fox and NBCU, which is by window I mean you know, Raw and SmackDown, those deals are going to expire way off in October 2024. But coming up, I think they have a window of – I don't know how long it is. I would guess maybe 30 days, 45 days, 60 days, something like that where the current – incumbents, NBCU and Fox, have exclusive negotiate, negotiating windows to renegotiate Raw and SmackDown respectively before they can go and negotiate with any other potential buyers like Amazon and who knows what else. Um, so I would think that they would like to have a cl- you know, clarity on what their strategy is going forward, wh- whether we're selling the company, whether we actually need to renew rights here. Um, so I'm guessing that's that's part of why the three-month uh, – numbers out there. Or, and maybe also, if you ever notice, and when I was buying tickets to Elimination Chamber the other day on a secondary seller, they I got into the, the checkout area and they were just giving me like this countdown. Like you have 10 minutes to make this purchase, you know, just to create urgency with the buyer to, to uh, you know, give them a countdown. He mentioned on that conference call too about, uh, you know, earnings call about how they're going to negotiate right after WrestleMania and Oh, look, WrestleMania is in Los Angeles. So it's convenient to, so, I mean, I, I think that we'll probably know in April, maybe even who's a serious buyer. He also said WrestleMania is going to sell out both nights, both nights. He did. That's right. But Um, we don't really know what a sellout would be. Correct. The word sellout is is an ambiguous term, I would say. And WWE likes to use it because they like to be very restrictive with their setups. I, I would say that the Raw 30 show was a sellout. Um, right. For sure. By looking at WrestleTix numbers, I like it, the configuration determines the inventory, right? But mm-hmm. when you're when you're down to like, you know, opening up, up tickets and, and those are some of the only tickets left when you're under like a hundred on a, on a NBA size arena, I would say we can kind of just call that a sellout. You may be able to squeeze in and get some tickets still, but yeah, it, when the numbers are pretty low, it's never going to be zero, right? At least on a, on a, the way that Russell ticks reports and estimates those ticket maps. Um, right. I think the, I think the, the WrestleManias are what at like 54,000 fans right now. Something like that. Okay. And so what is the capacity for SoFi Stadium? I know I don't know how many tickets they have on the market. I think it's probably under 60,000 tickets available at the moment. But I would 
guess that they'd probably have be able to seat probably around seventy to seventy five thousand fans if they wanted to. Yeah. Um, Celtics last count is fifty. I'm just gonna round here to the nearest yeah. thousand. Fifty four thousand for day mm-hmm. one, and about fifty five thousand for day two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we're talking SoFi Stadium. You could always just say screw it on the stage, and and that probably opens like ten thousand seats or something. Probably not yeah. gonna happen though. Um, well, how many tickets does WrestleTix say are like available, like that are because they usually have that calculation, right? I don't know if I have that on the spreadsheet I'm looking at. Available, there are okay. I do. There's still available. There's 1,600 for day one and 1,100 for day two. Okay, so that's implying, but that so that's implying a SoFi Stadium could only like right if we say that's sold out if they hit that number. We so, know that SoFi so has the estimated capacity for both at about 56,000. Right, and we know that's not true realistically it depends on how you can figure right but 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 we know that they could they could sell easily i think do seventy thousand fans or so that's the normal capacity the football capacity is seventy thousand two hundred forty. that's what it is so is it sofi stadium's weird though because it can expand its capacity up to like a hundred thousand fans or something like that because I think one of the enticing things about that WrestleMania was that they wanted to set the attendance record. Um, and because SoFi Stadium has the technical capacity to seat those many people. Um, maybe that's a gimmick that has ended just like the gimmick at the Cowboy Stadium ended. And it went from seating 105,000 people to 80,000 people. But um, and like the term sold out is, I think, interesting. Yes. And I wonder, you know, they should theoretically sell a lot of tickets to WrestleMania between now and then. Vacancy, but, super no vacancy, super no vacancy, full house, as we've learned. There are, there are, there are different degrees of, of sold outness, maybe. Um, but as of the close of the market on Friday, stock price got up, up to almost $90, um, which is just about at the peak that it was at a few weeks ago. So that gives it a market capitalization, the value of all shares together of about. $6.9 billion. And if we take, it's looking like Comcast, NBC Universal, maybe not going to happen. Um, so what's left here? Who could potentially buy this company? That's a realistic bidder that I would believe is really going to happen. Endeavor remains part of this, this conversation, it was part of this conversation with CNBC. We'll get into one specific possibility of how that could unravel. But public investment fund still seems like a real possibility, taking the company private. That's how I see that going. Um, and maybe private equity gets involved. One of those companies is Blackstone. That seems less likely, though. Uh, but I, I, I've been considering and asking people who have experience in finance and in you know corporate governance, what is, is it possible that WWE could go private while Vince could maintain control? As we know, he has just over a third of the shares, but he has 80% of the votes because of his special class B shares. So is, does it even make sense was my question. Does it even make sense that private equity or, or an investor would agree to, to take the company private and allow Vince to stay in control? Or is that just a deal that makes no sense for the investor because they want to control the company that they're pouring billions of dollars into? Wouldn't they want to be able to control and make decisions? Um, and the, the answer that I that I got from from multiple people here that I'll just sort of go through is that so sovereign wealth is is, is a is a subject or is a word that we should probably explain the meaning of sovereign wealth is for example the public investment fund and 
and there's others out there, but, but the main one that we're talking about here is Saudi Arabia. The so- sovereign wealth might agree to an alternative agreement where, for example, they control is transferred away from Vince over the course of a number of years, sort of the, a, a slow release of power from, from Vince. Um, or maybe a large investor could make an agreement where that investor keeps certain veto rights as part of the agreement to take the company private. Like, for example, they would take the company private and get the right to approve of a sale. They might get the right to uh, uh, approve of leadership or choose the leadership, the ability to terminate leadership. Because uh, if, you, if you're going to pour billions of dollars into a company, you probably want to have control of who's leading that company. Um, but pe- people, again, who have experience in, in finance and corporate governance – think it's it's unlikely that billions of dollars would be spent by one investment group without the ability to reach over Vince to change that leadership and there's there's um, among these complex possible agreements there might even be say an option for a buyer to uh to maintain control of the company uh, or to get full control of the company at a future point uh, while taking the company private and more in a more immediate process so and just to to put this graphic back on the, the screen here all they would have to buy to take the, for the company to no longer be a privately held company is 59 percent of the shares so basically everything is not owned by mcmahon family members and that would cost at least according to the value of the stock right now four billion dollars so it may cost something in excess of that to actually make it happen um if i confuse them isn't isn't part of the logic people use when they pair endeavor with wwe um, is that Endeavor owns UFC and that Dana White is somewhat similar to a Vince McMahon-like figure within UFC. And obviously they've come to an arrangement where Dana White still has a lot of power and control over at the administrative portion of UFC. Theoretically, WWE could be a similar thing where Vince doesn't own the company, but he's in kind of the Dana White role for WWE. Um, obviously, I think maybe... Endeavor might see Dana White as more integral and important to the part of UFC than Vince maybe is to WWE at the moment. But, Which I would agree with, yes. But that's the logic that I think a lot of people are using is that, oh, yeah. they've shown they can work with Dana, so therefore they're not afraid to work with Vince. Well, what, does, is, is Dana accused of, of seven different uh, allegations of sexual misconduct? No, not that I know of. Not that I'm aware of. Um he he is on video slapping his wife most recently. The 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 deal that you're talking about that was made in what, what year was it? Was it 2018 that they made that deal to be acquired by Endeavor? Um, there were no allegations like that, or there was no video out out like that at the time. Um, and I think okay, just in my opinion, I, I I think Vince has been a detriment to the company at least as a head of creative, and now he's an additional kind of detriment to the company in terms of having a lot of scandal around him, sexual harassment, sexual assault allegations uh, that mar the brand of WWE and anybody who's closely associated with it or is the owner of it. Um, So I think there's more of a, of a, of a justification for having Dana maintain control than, than Vince of their respective companies. Um, They did mention on CNBC this idea of a reverse Morris trust, which could end up being something like this, where Endeavor, which owns these different entities, including the UFC, including the talent agency IMG, including the streaming business, and of course, let's not forget, professional bull riding. They own all I didn't entities. know. 
I didn't know that Endeavor owned PBR. PBR, not not the not the not Patch Blue Ribbon, right? Did they own Patch no the Blue professional Ribbon? bull riders? The professional that's, bull. That's like an actually large touring organization, though. Do they have a TV deal? Yes. Where where, where is it? Where can I watch? I don't know where riding? it is now. They used to be on. It used to be a staple of ESPN too on the weekends. Okay. But I believe I want to say they might be with uh, NBC. Either that or CBS. Yeah. So, somebody Google. Yeah. Somebody Google that. Um, this, so this is cl- their classic NFL counter programming. Yeah, it sounds like process. something that would be on broadcast on on the broadcast network that's not airing the NFL on Sunday. But they draw like for I know they have different sized events and stuff like that, but they draw like really big for like their Family biggest friendly, events. Friendly yeah. entertainment, TVPG probably. Um, so when people talk about reverse Morris trust, this idea was uh, I, I first read it uh, in by Lightshed, uh, and it was mentioned on CNBC too. The idea is that. This is one possible outcome, and uh, maybe there's other outcomes here, where Endeavor would spin away from itself. UFC, maybe maybe professional bull riding gets gets to be part of that. I could see mainstream business people thinking, yeah, MMA, WWE, yeah, bull riding goes with that. And, and those sports entities merge with WWE, and we end up, yes, with UFC – and WWE owned within the same entity. And then those other assets, Endeavor, Endeavor Streaming, the IMG Talent Agency, that becomes its own separate company, which the, the argument would be that this Endeavor Remain company with just the streaming company and the talent agency and maybe some other assets probably gets valued more by proportion versus how those entities are valued within Endeavor now. And maybe you end up with rather than two separate entities as we have now that that are valued at Endeavor about ten billion, WB about mm, six and a half billion. Maybe you end up with two new entities that are valued at more than sixteen and a half billion dollars, and so they are they are valued at at more at in this configuration uh, rather than the current one, if that makes sense. Um, so maybe that's something that could happen or something similar. CBS. So I was right about. Paramount Global, as, as, as they say in media business. Yeah. Um, by the way, if you want to submit a, a question or comment, there are the super chat options available if you're watching live. Um, and any other final thoughts on, on the, the Nick and, and Vince W acquisition business before we move on? Silence. Silence. Okay. No, I'm, I'm good. I think we covered it all. Okay. Okay. It's time. Get your, get your clickbaits out. It's time. We're going to compare them. I'm going to compare them. WWE versus AEW. With a, a, a new month now in the record books. It is, it is February 5th. That means January is over with, sources say. And uh, we can look at, yeah, here's what, what TV ratings look at. As we know, Raw and SmackDown are the two most watched wrestling, comp, uh, wrestling programs. And so let's look at, first of all, TV ratings. W and AEW. We actually have impact on here too. And the only programs that are up year over year... As always, is AEW, and the only programs that are down is WWE. Not this year. <laughs> okay. WWE with, with, is, is continuing to lose fans and viewers, as always. Is that, is that the case? No, not in quarter one. Okay. Not, not in January of 2023. Oh, okay. SmackDown, this is quarter one to date, so this is only January. Um SmackDown is up 7% in total viewership versus the prior year. Raw is up 5% in total viewership versus the prior year. NXT is up 2%. Dynamite is down 
Rampage is, is the deltas are are get, getting getting uh, less negative. Rampage is down seven percent. So all, all the W shows are up. All the, the the both AEW shows are are down by single digits, and Impact is down by double digits. Maybe it's more volatile, smaller viewership, but but W shows are up in in total viewership versus last year. I like to look at this chart, which is eighteen to forty nine. Comparing Dynamite against Raw and SmackDown in 18 to 49 by week. How how far ahead were Raw and SmackDown ahead of Dynamite in that same week? And I think it tells you a pretty good story about what the comparability is, uh, how closely they're competing over time. And what, what we see at the very beginning of this timeline in 2019 when Dynamite de- debuts is a big margin for Raw and SmackDown which starts to diminish as the Wednesday Night Wars go on and then sort of flattens out during the pandemic, but then starts to to diminish again. That lead that W flagship programs have, it starts to to diminish as we get towards, you know, we're we're into the time where the Wednesday Night War has ended and Dynamite's no longer running head-to-head with NXT, so its viewership improves. And then they get CM Punk in in, in August, and that margin gets pretty low there in late 2021, late 2021, Summer of Punk, it gets quite low to zero. And in fact, as we know, on a, a few occasions, Dynamite did beat Raw in 1849 in the same week on one, two, three, four occasions over, over late 2021 and early 2022. But now, since early 2022, those margins have increased for Raw and SmackDown over Dynamite. Uh, SmackDown especially. Raw has been... I would say less consistent looking at this squiggly line, but SmackDown has been more, more of a, of a positive upward trend in their lead in 18 to 49 over dynamite. We could look at this in, in the even younger demo, which was celebrated on this earnings call, how well W is doing in the, in the younger, younger demo. And by the way, those year over year deltas that we were talking about that were for total viewership. Those year over year deltas are even better for W shows in 18 to 34, the young adult demographic. Um, it's much closer in 18 to 34 between WWE and AEW. But we do see, you know, over here, some, some positive deltas here uh, since late 2021, especially for both shows. Um, and then we have Canadian TV viewership. We never talk about Canadian TV viewership. Um, I, I, I was in discussions with, with John Pollock earlier this week, and we did come to an agreement that I, that I should be reporting on Canadian TV viewership that he is reporting. No, he didn't, he didn't pressure me to do that. Uh, but but we, we, I haven't looked at this in, in quite a while. And we do see that because he had mentioned to me that Dynamite viewership was down. So I was looking at this, this data, which is from Post Wrestling's reporting. And this data is collected every week by Corey Gibson. And it, and it does, we do see a, a downward trend here. These lines on the screen are 13-week are moving averages um, where, where Dynamite is getting to be under 100,000 viewers in, in Canada. Um, and SmackDown seems to be on the rise since, oh, wow, that you could really, you know, th- this, this point right here is like late July when Vince resigned, right? And it's for SmackDown especially up and to the right. Um, whereas, you know, Raw is, I would say, more stable. But... But, you know, up and down. Um, and I, I did look at UK viewership, but we, I think backbodydrop.com has not been pouring, reporting WE viewership. But Dynamite is on, I always forget, but Dynamite is on a stronger network than, than either Raw or SmackDown. Because what? Raw and SmackDown are on BT Sport, and Dynamite is on, like, 
is on ITV, and I think it just improved its time slot in the UK uh, a couple months ago, right? U- UK fans are screaming at us right now, I'm sure. Um, Ooh, yeah, Ron Smackdown are on the premium cable channels that you have to subscribe extra to. Um, while AEW Dynamite, I think, is on... It's on ITV, might be, right? I think I think they're on ITV, but they're on they were on like a bad time slot in ITV. But ITV is kind of like like being on CBS in the United States. It's a it's you know a a, a, net, a network television station, mm-hmm. so they have a massive advantage over WWE, even with a worse time slot. Right. Um. Okay. And then attendance. Uh. Raw did did pretty well in January. Nine thousand average tickets distributed according to Russell Ticks. SmackDown, just under 9,000, 8,700. Dynamite, 73,000, or some, sorry, 7,300, which is their best number. And a lot of new markets here, right? Their best number since I have to go back to, what is this, June of 2022 to find an average attendance for Dynamite that is as high as the average attendance that, that WrestleTix recorded in January 2023. What new markets did Dynamite go to? They, did, have we done the Seattle show at this point? Yes, they, they went to, to Seattle. They went to um, Fresno. They had their second LA show, which is not a new market necessarily, but I know they drew very well there. Um, Didn't they return to Denver? Am I missing that wrong? They did Seattle. They did, let's see here, Inglewood, which is just outside LA. They did Fresno. They did Lexington, Kentucky. They went to Jim Cornette's right. stomping grounds. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dayton was this past, okay. this that that was in February, February first. Um, and then Rampage only had I think they only did one live Rampage, but it was the show in Portland. Okay, yeah, right. And that that's what's over here, which did five thousand, which is you know I mean these these Rampage months have usually just one Rampage in them. Sometimes as many as they did four live Rampages in October, apparently. But yeah, um, a good number for a Rampage of five thousand. Uh, but is this is this like a trajectory here? Do we have a, a trend here of of Raw doing especially well? We are in the in the January to March seasonality. That's a, a, always a good time for for attendance for WWE. So yeah, I, I was actually well. surprised looking at this data. I was actually surprised that SmackDown is kind of doing like kind of what they've been doing for the last year or so. I feel like they were attendance was up just incidentally when I would check WrestleTix on like Fridays or Saturdays, just seeing how many they drew and like, oh, SmackDown attendance is up. But they're, they're pretty, you know, they're pretty much around where they've been. I mean, I guess they're up from like October and in November where they didn't draw particularly well. But from this time last year, um, they're up, I guess, a little bit. But Raw obviously is doing really good. Now, part of that is Raw 30, which was like a quick sellout. Mm-hmm. Um, show in, in Philadelphia, which did, yeah, which did what for fourteen thousand fans or so. Um, the number. We'll look. Uh, Raw in Philadelphia. What what date was that? I'm looking at a spreadsheet right now. Mm, would have been uh, fourteen thousand four hundred fifty one. Right. So that that and that has to be the highest attended Raw in a really long time. Yeah, I, I think there might knowledge. be one like at the just. After the return to touring, that might have been close to that, but right, yeah, but that's a huge crowd, and so that's like it's not. I don't want to say like it's an artificial number because they drew and they they. I think they said it. They they said they had a gate record for for a show in Philadelphia or whatever. But um, obviously, that's something that they can't really repeat. But obviously, the raw numbers are doing quite well. Um, I don't know. Like we talked about this. I 
don't know. I think we talked about this off air, but like, do you, do you agree with the, the, if I told you WWE is hot right now, would you agree with that statement, Brandon? I think it's maybe heating up. It's warming up. Um, you, but you wouldn't go as far to say is that they're, they're hot right now. They're, they're big right now. They're, they're on a, they're on a hot streak right now. Um, if, if I wanted to get engagement on Twitter, I would definitely say that. Uh, <laughs> We'll, 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 we'll make this determination as we look at a couple more stats. Um, but I, I, it's, it, I should point out, too, if we look at January of this year, all these numbers for, for all, all the big TV shows are up, right? We have 8,700 8, for SmackDown. If we look at the, at the January of last year, now some of this might be determined, influenced by market, but it was only at 6,400 last year's January, again, versus 8,700. For Raw, it was at 5,400 versus 9,000. For, for this year's January, the last year's January, 5,600 for Dynamite, 7,300 for, Dy- for Dynamite this January. And uh, the one was there, yeah, there were two, two Rampages that did 4,200 on, on average versus 5,000 this year. And house shows are at about the same rate, slightly down in January versus January of last year, averaging... 3,500 or so and averaging a little, little bit higher, but it, it rounds to 3,500 for, for house shows. So house shows don't appear to be heated up, um, but, but the TV events certainly do. Um, Google Trends, which I think tell us a lot. Uh, they're a leading indicator, I would say. They're very highly suggestive of what's happening in business. How much are people thinking about these brands? And we do have NXT on here, so I have to say brands. Um, and WD is up 4% in January versus January of last year, up 4%. So this, remember this is January and it includes the Royal Rumble time. So people were Googling WD related subjects 4% more this January versus last year's January. AEW down 25% in this year's January versus last year's January. I don't know if there's something especially big in January of 2022 that, that would make this a tough comparison. Nothing comes to mind for me, but down 25% for AEW. NXT. Searches related to NXT up 3%. Um, New Japan up 32%, a month that includes Wrestle Kingdom uh, versus the Wrestle Kingdom of last year. I was probably thinking about Wrestle Kingdom more this year than last year, I have to admit. Um, Impact is down 25%. Stardom continues to to be up in year-over-year comparisons, up 16%. Noah, I think the big winner on the board, no, next to CML. Noah and CMLL are the big winners on the board, up almost 50% for Noah, 50% for CMLL. Uh, Ring of Honor up just three percent. I mean, we're we're talking about a, a, a immediately pre Tony Khan Ring of Honor era there, where they're I think dormant right in January twenty twenty two. AAA down eleven percent. Dragon Gate down eighteen percent. DDT flat. MLW up five. NWA down twenty five. All Japan up twelve, and Big Japan down twenty. And those are the only, only companies that I queried here. So, WWE. Four percent. So I would say, you know, okay, adding this data point in the preponderance of data points that we want to make it a, make a call like that about is is this is such and such company on fire? Well, it's up four percent in Google Web Search. Um, attendance appears to be up. It's not a clean market to market comparison there. TV ratings are up year over year against a headwind of declining engagement on linear TV. I would say that's a clear positive story for WWE. Those TV ratings. Um, this is, a, this is a mild positive story. We'll see what happens in, in the months to come. Well, on the flip side, would you say that AEW is collapsing because of how bad their Google trend numbers are? Look at all that red on that, on that, in that column, Brandon. 
I would say that AEW was hotter last year than it is this year. Um, and we see that in in TV ratings, maybe. The TV ratings are down 6 and 7% or so. Um, I, th- we... I think the Google trends are interesting because if you just check the vibe, especially with some of these smaller promotions. That's what it's measuring. It's the vibe cast, yeah. No, well, like, but like if you were to check like – like the Noah show, right, right, right. Noah yeah. is was up a lot Q1. Why? Because there was the Muda farewell ship match. There was right. you know Sting and, and Darby Allen wrestling in yeah. Japan and like that. So Noah feel, felt bigger this past month than they did last year. Um, so they're up. That kind of makes sense, you know. Stardom continues to grow, right? People talking more about Stardom, so they're up. You know, CMLL is in much better shape this past 365 days than they were in previous time. Part of that was the pandemic and part of that was poor management, but they're up. That's kind of, it checks out with me. Dragon gate. Oh, they're a little down. They've lost some talent lately and they're, they're instituting a lot of new guys on the dragon gate side of the roster. So I could see why they're down. Um, You know, NWA is less relevant than it was, you know, a few years ago too. So like that, that all kind of, the vibes kind of check out with the Google data to me at least. Yeah. Which yeah. kind of adds more credence to what you're saying about yeah. WWE's you can up think slightly. Of stories okay. to explain these. Yeah, not exactly. Like with Noah, obviously, I think it's Muda entirely. Um, Maybe for the most part, you know, they, they did the New Japan. Japan. They did the New Japan Wrestle Kingdom. You know, New Japan versus Noah, Congo versus Lij Wrestle Kingdom show. Which, but they did that last year too. So it's that's kind of a year to year comparison too. And you can see they were up 146 percent last January. Uh, than they were from January 2021, which was entirely Wrestle Kingdom related, I'm sure. But it kind of helps you like understand, like, okay, why it, it's easy to explain why some of these ones are up, and they feel it feels right from like just an antidote, antidotal. What does it feel like the buzz is online about these different yeah. promotions? And, and I would argue we're not going to get into this now, but I argue look, this goes back to 2004. This data does, and mm-hmm. I would argue that you can look at the, the the longer term trends over the almost you know, couple of decades that are that this data is comprised of and you can see stories that are reflective of what my intuitions would be in business um you know for the most part um now on to talent uh the number one most searched this is an arbitrary selection of talent let's be clear this is my selection of something like 1500 or so it's over a thousand wrestlers and other wrestling personalities uh and i google trend i do a google trend query for them all and here they are ranked um we have the entire history of of google trends here by year and then at the very end of this table we have just what what they ranked as in january and the rock is number one as he you know has been for years bad bunny yeah he gets involved in this and he's number two and then john cena logan paul and then the number one uh, I want to say full-time performer. Now, I know Roman Reigns, I, I looked it up just now. Roman Reigns has not worked a house show since September, but he's on TV regularly. Roman Reigns is the number one full-time wrestling talent. He is number five on this list after the other non-full-time people. Uh, followed by Batista. Jay Briscoe ends up here at number six for January. Um, Undertaker, Hulk Hogan, Triple H, Vince McMahon on the rise as he's been in the news obviously in january brock lesnar the great Kali, still still a big leader in web search mandy rose who's in the news ray mysterio ray ripley ray ripley above ronda rousey in january she, she's been on the climb cody rhodes who came back in january but he's been you know ranking fairly highly look at him in 2022 he was number 20 
21 out of all these people. Nikki Bella. Did you know that Nikki Bella is on, has a TV show again? She's on TV right now. Mm, yeah, I think she's like, she has like, she's, she's getting married and it's going to be like a whole series, a whole season. It's a series episodes. airing now. Yeah. I think like, the whole season is just her wedding. Like each episode is a different part of the wedding. Isn't it like Nikki Bella says I do or something like that? It's, it's, some, it's something wedding themed. Definitely. Yeah. Um, followed by Steve Austin, Randy Orton, Mercedes Monet. She's been recognized by Google Trends as Mercedes Monet, no longer Sasha Banks. Uh, Ric Flair, Stephanie McMahon, who was in the news, Alexa Bliss. Uh, should I read all of these? I, I'll, I will stop. I, I think I'll stop there. Um, do we have an, the, the, so the all elite wrestling people here are, the first one is Paul White, who's number 25. Um, Soraya, who outranks CM Punk in January. And I think it's interesting that Sam, where is Sami Zayn? I think people will be curious to know. He's at number 36. So that puts him just behind Seth Rollins. And that puts them both. Is, where, where's Kevin Owens in here? He's in here somewhere, isn't he? he? Oh, no. Kevin Owens is way down here at 45. So anyway, he, so Sami Zayn is above Kevin Owens. He's just behind Seth Rollins. You know, he's, he's behind Akira Hokuto and CM Punk and Soraya and Bray Wyatt and Pat McAfee. Um, but yeah, so that, that, but he's way up. In January, in January he was thirty six, up from ninety nine in the full year of twenty twenty. Why is Akira Hokuto so high? Akira Hokuto is a, a big time celebrity in Japan. She she's a she's like a, a cook or something. She's big okay. on YouTube. I didn't know that. I didn't know that's what she was doing. But it, it, I mean, she's consistently in the the slot yes, season. She now. She's, yes, so it's not a fluke. Yes, this is something that that I had to investigate when I first started. Yeah, know, no, I didn't. I didn't have. I didn't know she had that kind of. I didn't know she had like crossover mainstream appeal. I know like people like I know like people like Toki Makabe are like really famous yes. in Japan because uh, he's like I think he's like he's not like a morning show. I think he's kind of like the Michael Strahan of Japan mm-hmm. uh, in ways, but. I didn't know that about Akira Hokuto. Good for her. Insane Clown Posse are, are among the big uh, leaders here independently. Maybe yeah. maybe Tony Khan should call up and say, is, is Tony Khan a juggalo? I think that's the question. <laughs> can, can, I, can I ask, Brandon, like, how relevant is this information when most of these people are not wrestlers? I, I feel like I have to include that. I mean, I, sometimes I'll take cage match data and say, who's actually having matches here? And then filter it by that. It tells you who's recognizable as a name, I think. Yeah. Does, like, I think Ray or Rick. Draw? I don't like I think Rhea Ripley being as high as she is is a potential sign that she is becoming because she hasn't ranked nearly this high. She's fifteenth. She hasn't ranked nearly this high in the past. Yeah, I so think you that, have to pick that, and choose what what is meaningful here. And and like Hulk Hogan's household name is probably always going to be ranked somewhere around this level of number eight for January. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Hogan's a big draw in some ways. He has some problems in other ways. Uh, great Kali always being up here. I don't know. You know, the, I mean, what's something that's not that meaningful here? Um, I think Mandy Rose is a big news story. I mean, there's there's always cases like Jay Briscoe, who unfortunately passed away. He's way up here. Scott Hall is way up in 2022 because he passed away. Well, like The Rock is just like in Bad Bunny, like like a court. Like those people don't really have any impact on the wrestling business, realistically. But I, but I feel the need to include them because, well, maybe The Rock's going to be in WrestleMania this year, but apparently not now. But that's, you know, that was on the table. Um, so anyway. Do you think women have an outsized influence? Perhaps. On this chart. Perhaps. Why would that be? Um, people Googling pictures. Okay. Yes. Um, Chris Benoit is always up here. Um, 
for Chris Benoit reasons. Everyone wants to watch Chris Benoit tapes. Yes. Which they're studying his fundamentals. Um, the top five YouTube videos for each month for WWE and AEW are here. Um, this is looking at September to January each month. And <clears throat> I haven't given this a lot of thought, but what do we see on here? Um, let's throw out some names here that I see a lot. Uh, there's one Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns, Dominic. Dominic betrays his father was a big YouTube hit for, for WWE. Uh, Can I ask a question about this data? Yes. Are you looking at total views? Um, I'm looking at views through seven days. Okay. So this is, so these are just what videos got big in seven in the first seven days. We're not looking at cumulative views since they were posted or views over like the month. So that's so this is it had to be published in that month. And then we tracked it for at least seven days. Right. But we tracked but it's like, for, for instance, like AEW's most popular video is the Mark Briscoe and Jay Lethal match, which was taped at the end of January. So, but it's only, we're only calculating seven days. So it's not at a disadvantage compared to videos that were posted earlier in January. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that may have been some of the thought process into that. But yeah. But we don't, so say there's some video that's from years ago that blew up this month and got millions of views. I, I, this process is not, you know, catching that. Mm -hmm. um, or if there's some video in September that got millions of views in in January and December, we're not tracking that here. Um, it's within the first seven days, and I don't think I'm going beyond seven days because um, there's a script that that this there's a script on my computer that runs every hour at the top of the hour and looks at every channel that I tell to look at and says, how many views does this video have? And I track a, a video, a given video for seven days, every hour. And then after we've hit the seven day point, I just stop tracking it because see the, the, the spreadsheets get too big and unwieldy. Um, and maybe it's, you know, you want to give everybody an even playing field in terms of giving them the same amount of time to, so when we compare them, you know, older videos have this advantage of having lived longer. But names I see a lot here for WB. Um, some Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns, John Cena, Roman Reigns, the tag match. That's This is old. So I, I tried to exclude two highlights and top 10 videos here for, for WB to get an idea of what are the segments. So we do have this old um, full match stuff in here. Um, John Cena, John Cena, Roman Reigns, Kevin Owens, Usos, Undertaker, Roman Reigns. I guess I see a lot of Roman Reigns here. Um, and on the AEW side... John Moxley, MJF. Any other names stand out here? Is like you're seeing more than once. Well, that I'm seeing more than once. Yeah, Soraya. CM, CM Punk, obviously. CM Punk. What happened to him? Okay. Um. So there's that. And I've been. This is big news in the world of wrestleomics. I've been scraping. Well, not scraping. I should say this is not really scraping. This is using legitimately the Twitter API. Um. Does, does everybody know what an API is? It's like when various platforms have application. I forget what API stands for, but basically it's a way to, to use coding to actually pull data in a way that the, the platform is, you know, glad to have you do it. Um, there's a limit to the time range that I can grab here. I can only grab for the, for the last seven days. Um, but I, I did this for the first time as I grabbed, let's count the number of tweets that use the terms WB. W Raw, uh, SmackDown is, is, is the hashtag for SmackDown. WNXT, AEW, AEW Diamond, AEW Rampage. 
Now, I, I put these up here as hashtags, but if you use these same terms without the hashtag, you still got caught in this, I think. Um, and we have this big spike here in the purple for just WWE for Royal Rumble. So up to at the peak, this is by hour. I have, have done this in, in, in minutes too, but we'll, we'll look at just hour here for the last seven days. And Royal Rumble, at, at its peak for an hour during the Royal Rumble, more than 50,000 tweets using the, the letters WWE. Um, and Raw is the biggest spike for a TV show here. Uh, SmackDown is the second biggest, and Dynamite is the third biggest. And Rampage is down here, uh, well under SmackDown on Friday. And NXT is down here, uh, well under, I think, yeah, they're even less than, it looks like live, they're less than Rampage. But over the course of the entire week, they are higher than Rampage. Anecdotally, I heard way more people in my life that I wouldn't call like necessarily hardcore wrestling fans talking about the Royal Rumble and WWE than I have in, in years, like more than past WrestleManias over the last few years. It did feel like that this Royal Rumble had more cultural cachet than, than other events that WWE has put on over the last few years. What do you count that to? Uh, access to Peacock, I think, is a big one. I think Peacock has added a lot more viewers, which makes sitting down and watching the Royal Rumble easier if people are already subscribing. Um, and, you know, I think Triple H taking over creative um, has produced a lot more optimism for WWE to be different and to be better. And that has helped. And we've seen that reflected in positive viewership trends over the last six months. Um, and I think that the, you know, the, the, the people were really interested in the bloodline storyline. I thought it was very, we talked about this last, I think last week or two weeks ago, but I, I thought it was really smart that with like raw 30, when they have, uh, a big audience, a lot of people that are not watching WWE on a regular basis, they went really hard with the bloodline angle and the trial of Sami Zayn. And they put that on the first hour and it took the bloodline stuff took up almost the entire first hour of that show. And they had, they, you know, got people who maybe were casual WWE fans or people who weren't watching every week, interested in something and excited about something. And they tuned in to watch the Royal rumble that week. And then maybe they kept stuck with it and they tuned in to watch raw the following night. Um, I think all of the, I think that was, that was a strong move in the past. I talked about this after raw 30, but in the past, WWE would have a big audience for like a nostalgia show or an anniversary show. And they would be focused entirely on old acts and, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin coming out or, or DX coming out and doing something. In this case, they used it to promote a current angle with current stars. And I think they're seeing some of the rewards from it because the fans have responded positively towards it. Yeah, I mean, Roman Reigns was on Jimmy Fallon and they really put over the bloodline scenario. And then they also talked, you know, obviously about The Rock. So I think that interest was there, too. Enormous, enormous like uh like media presence for WWE over the last month like a lot I've noticed like a lot more like feature stories and coverage and a lot of it has to do with the sale like people covering the sale but I think that they've been very aggressive in sending a positive message about the company for a number of reasons one of which is probably Vince McMahon's return to the company and some of the questions that raises but others things like starting they wanting to get a lot of good press at the start of the year that they're going to be begin negotiating their TV rights deals the sale, obviously, they want as good amount as a good amount of press as possible that they can get. So, they've been very active in, in, in you know, working the PR to 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 
get positive news out there. And that's probably influenced in some ways helped, you know, Royal Rumble have a huge presence in some people's minds. And, and we'll see what happens when the final rating is reported on Monday. But according to the Fast Affiliate, I, I think SmackDown is going to come in at about 2.4 million viewers, which is pretty good. Uh, it's it, w- it would be, you know, if you, if you excluded the December 30th John Cena episode and last week's very high rating, that would, you'd have to go back to September to find a rating that's as high as, as 2.4, if that's what it mm-hmm. ends up being. So even, what would that be, six days after the Royal Rumble, um, pretty good rating. Uh, and yeah, and I think part of that is because what, what was the big thing at the Royal Rumble? You know, Sami Zayn turning on, on Roman Reigns. How are you going to, like, if you were in that, got you know, that angle got really over? People want to see that. What do they have to do? They have to tune in to SmackDown on Friday. Um, and I think I said this off air, but I just only mentioned it in passing earlier. Uh, I am going to Montreal for Elimination Chamber, in part because, like, it's 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 close enough driving distance, and that atmosphere might be might be pretty pretty unforgettable. So we'll we'll see what it's like with. Oh, I assume that to be is going to be a really hot show f- yeah. for the Sami Zayn and Roman Reigns match. I mean, yeah, that's. Um, that's that. I think that's going to be a very memorable thing for WWE. They should be very excited. If you're a WWE fan, you should be very excited about that show. Um, so in, with these tweets here, I, th- I I didn't know the answers to, to the question I'm about to pose here before. I don't have a comp- you know, any confidence about it. Like, would you say that? Would you expect that AEW fans tweet more about AEW than WWE fans tweet about WWE? No, no. You think it's equal or more? Like like you're talking like like. For pound for pound, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Because we're, um, we're we're going to get to it with this slide. If we believe that, if we believe that WWE has this silent majority of fans, right? These people that are big WWE fans that are not part of the internet wrestling discourse, then you would believe that AEW fans, pound for pound, tweet more about it. But I feel like WWE fans are more engaged in social media. All the statistics tell us that, um, especially if we're talking globally. Um, so, so what I found is and this is not a perfect comparison, but this is this is the data that we've got. We don't have better data to do this with. I, I took the U.S. viewership and I said, so what's the U.S. viewership as a percentage of the number of tweets? Um, when I did a deeper analysis that we're not going to go through today, I did a deeper analysis on um, Royal Rumble. And I found that like the number of unique users, the an average user was tweeting about four tweets um, throughout the night or something like that, which sounds reasonable, right? So – even if we were to assume that every tweet, everybody only tweeted once, right? We we would get only as as a as a percentage of the actual total viewership of the U.S. Obviously, t- tweets are global around the world. So just just to get an idea of like the degree of viewership versus the degree of tweeting, I guess is is what we're trying to get at here. And Dynamite and NXT are both at seven percent. Raw is at six percent. SmackDown is only at four percent, despite being the most watched show. And, and Rampage is at 4%. You know, and this is versus its viewership. This is for, – for SmackDown, I use what I believe is going to be the rating based on the Fast Affiliate. For, for Rampage, since we don't know what the rating is, I use the January average. And in terms of tweeting, at least using these keywords here, and maybe there's just a lot of tweets that aren't using these keywords that are actually alluding to the show. Very possible. It looks like you know Dynamite and NXT are the most well represented on Twitter, and SmackDown and Rampage are the least represented on Twitter. Um, what is the what is the time frame of the tweets that you're gathering? This was okay. Good question. This was for the entire week, is what I used here. 
this, so these mm -hmm. numbers that we're looking at in this legend here are the numbers that I used, and I just divided these numbers by the viewership. Right, but are, we're looking at like these big spikes. Mm -hmm. I would I would imagine SmackDown or Rampage through their time slot are more DVR viewed than mm -hmm. live viewed, as opposed to Raw and Dynamite, which more people are probably watching live. Certainly, we know Rampage is definitely a heavily DVR show. Given Rampage time is. Slot. I think last and no, all, this is over a year ago. Last I saw a DVR viewership for SmackDown was not particularly high. Uh, I think we could even find that on spoiler TV because it's a broadcast. It's a broadcast show. I think it's like less than ten percent for Smack for SmackDown, which is not. Prob I would not expect SmackDown to be like dramatically more than Raw for DVR mm -hmm. percentage. You know. Um, yeah, this was the Raw is also a longer show. True, it has an extra hour of content that's happening, and I imagine people are more and frequently going to tweet because of that. Yeah, right. But I imagine people are going to be watching. And tweeting more. If I'm live tweeting Raw, mm -hmm. or I'm tweeting all my reactions to Raw, I'm going to have a lot more tweets because it's over the course of three hours, over the compared to a right. two-hour or one-hour show. And and if Raw was a two-hour show, its its viewership average would be higher, which would make this number. How would that work out in, in math? That that would make the viewership number higher. That would make the the tweeting lower, which would make this number smaller. So I think what I'm saying is. Because Raw is three hours, it, it may, if we were, you know, adjusting for, for those factors, maybe a little bit higher and then therefore closer to Dynamite NXT. Well, you can look at, if you go back to the other chart, you can see Raw's spike is a little bit wider than Dynamite's or SmackDown's, which would right. be associated with a three-hour show as opposed to a two-hour show. And Yeah, you can kind of see the three. I don't have them in dots here, but you can kind of see the three data points that are probably coinciding with this, with the three hours. Mm -hmm. and you have to look at like what happens, like major angles, like Cody Rhodes came out. I think he was in the first hour and then he obviously was in the main event in the last hour. And that'd probably kind of be the most exciting, interesting thing that's happening on raw. Um, and with the Twitter API, I can only go back to the, to the last seven days from where I am in the present. So I can't – I would love to go back to – if you're an academic or you have some sort of enterprise deal with Twitter, you can go back to 2006. Uh, but I can only take you know, the last seven days here. Uh, and I think on, on there's some other way to do the last 30 days. Um, but yeah, and I, I also did – I did look at this to some degree in quarter hours and early looked. I just looked at Dynamite for this was that it looks like – after a match ends, or maybe there's a there's an angle, there does seem to be a spike in tweets because you can get these by by minute. So mm -hmm. I have some have a data set like by minute how many tweets are happening per minute. Uh, some, some some much needed granularity. We need to, more more analysis of, of Twitter. It's definitely needed. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay. By the way, if you want to do Super Chat, we're accepting them. Now, one of the big stories today. Jeff Jarrett. Jesse Collins makes the case for Jeff Jarrett. 
AEW's doing house shows. It's a good idea or a bad idea? I'm excited about it. I think it's a I think it's a a good idea. Um, so when this news came out was it was Wednesday, correct? Wednesday morning. Uh, do, does it does it say on the press release? We have the, the screenshot of the press release here. It is February first. So what what day of the week was that? That was Wednesday. Yes, that was Wednesday morning. So Wednesday morning, this comes out. And AEW, which, who hadn't run house shows before, they had run one house show as kind of a one-off thing in Jacksonville one time. They've been doing TV, I think, already. And I think this was when WrestleMania was sort of the half-capacity WrestleMania in Tampa, and they expected maybe they could get some people driving in and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I think like the, the two big takeaways I saw from just combing around social media and also reading some articles and listening to some podcasts were – People focused on kind of two things when it comes to AEW doing house shows. The first thing that they were focused on was this will be good for talent. This will be good for like Jade Cargill or Hook or these wrestlers who AEW has on their roster who have star potential but have not wrestled a lot of matches. And part of the reason they haven't wrestled a lot of matches is because they're only wrestling television matches, which limits their ability to wrestle more frequently and therefore is maybe – like slowing down their potential growth. I don't want to say stunt their growth because that's not true, but slowing down their potential growth. So the idea that this will give wrestlers on AEW's roster more matches in front of live crowds and therefore will improve certain aspects of the roster. The other thing I saw was a huge focus on whether or not this would be financially viable for AEW. And like, as I've said before, we live in this this doom world where everyone is very, very concerned about whether or not AEW is in the black or whether or not that AEW can turn a profit. And that if they were to run house shows and they were not able to make money, it would be a very bad decision because AEW might have to close down their business if they lost money on house shows or, or some, some inane fear that's probably not realistic. Um, but I think those were the two big focuses. And one of the things that I focused on when I thought about um, what I wasn't seeing, and that's why I wrote this article for WrestleNomics, which you can see on the website right now, is the value that house shows have to increasing your fan base. And I wrote this article, and as you can see on the screen here, it's titled, AEW House Shows Are a New Opportunity for Grassroots Growth. And what I thought about was how AEW like a great way to get fans to watch your product is to have them go to a live show. I think everyone can kind of remember their first wrestling show that they attended in person. And if they had a good time at that show and they had fun at that show, that, that helped increase their wrestling fandom. I know it certainly did. I remember the first wrestling show I ever went to, it was a TNA house show in Lowell, Massachusetts. The main event was Christian cage versus someone want to guess who Christian cage wrestled. Tyson Tomko. Kurt Angle. Nope, it was Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> so it was Christian Cage versus Jeff Jarrett. But I I was, I don't know, 11 at the time. Maybe, maybe I was older. Maybe it was so now this, all called, this is why you're defending Jeff Jarrett today. Is that it? Right. I've always been a fan of Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> they did a terrible finish. They they uh, they announced that it was a title match, and then Christian Cage won won the title. And then they had not said that the, because the ring announcer didn't didn't say it was a title match or something that it didn't count. They did an old dusty finish. It was a very bad fucking. But did that the point is, the is that, did that kill Boston for them next time. I, I they did not come back to Massachusetts for probably seven years after that. What? But, they didn't come back to Massachusetts. They didn't run Massachusetts for seven years. Oh, I, th- I think that's true. Yeah, they they ran. Nobody some, did not run was, a show. What in Massachusetts? 
for you're talking about TNA. 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 Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah, this is TNA. Who do you think I was talking about? WWE. Yes. Okay. No. 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 It's TNA. Anyway, the, the, my first house show experience is not relevant here, except for the fact that I think if you're a wrestling fan, you can kind of remember the first time you attended a live event, especially a, a big scale live event, and it probably helped increase your fandom of wrestling. And I think by AEW having more live events and bringing their products to people, it can help increase their fandom. And maybe you're not making a profit off of just the ticket sales that you sell to your house show. This one's going to be in uh where is it? It's, it's not uh, Troy, Ohio. Not right? Troy, New be... York. No, not Troy, New York. Troy, Ohio, which is just outside consider... Dayton. Just outside yes. Dayton, where they were actually doing TV that night. That they made, yes, made it's about 30 months. minutes north of Dayton. Yeah. Um, but maybe you're not making a profit just off your ticket sales. Maybe, maybe your house show is a money loser, right? But what you're doing is you're taking your product and you're bringing it to a fan base. And maybe some of those fans that are going to your show. Maybe they're not weekly dynamite viewers. Maybe they're not people who have purchased a pay-per-view before that for AEW, but if they go to the live event and they have a good time, they might become regular television viewers. They might become consider buying a pay-per-view. They might consider going to dynamite the next time it's in Dayton or in Cincinnati or, or within a, a reasonable drive. Maybe that show that's now, you know, 90 minutes away, you consider making that drive because you had a good time. I think the consensus thought is that AEW from a live event perspective is a very fun show to attend. Um, you had, the atmosphere is good. The fan base is great. Um, the, the action is good. Like it's a good time going to an AEW live event. And this is a way to reach new fans. And so it's beyond just looking at, Oh, our house show is going to turn a profit for them. Otherwise it's a bad, bad idea, but rather taking your product and making it uh, reach a wider audience. I think I was, I did a lot of time looking at WWE's house shows um, and WWE's house shows are not in major markets for the most part. I did like some research in my article. I looked up every WWE house show in the United States since November and with the exception of a few house shows that they do during the holiday season, like the Madison Square Garden house show the day after Christmas. And there was a house show in Toronto on, I think, New Year's Eve. Mm -hmm. um, outside of that week uh, where they do the kind of the big holiday shows, which is kind of a, a, not like a great comparison point for the rest of the year. But if you just look at the shows they had, they ran, I think, 19 shows. And I think only one of them was really in a top 50 television market. There were, it was a lot of shows in places like Erie, Pennsylvania and Corbin, Kentucky and Wheeling, West Virginia. And in these places that are probably not going to get a television taping, a Raw or a SmackDown is not coming to those communities that much. But the live event, the house shows do. And WWE maybe isn't making a profit off of the ticket sales for their house show in Wheeling, West Virginia. But what they are doing is that they are taking their WWE product, a, a professional sports product, relatively speaking, and they're bringing it to a community that doesn't have that kind of entertainment coming to their town all the time. And they are bringing their product to those people. And I think WWE has done a really good job staying with that model, even as if they've, even as they've cut, cut house shows down over the years that they're still running in all of these small communities. And Brandon's got the chart right here. You can see that they had in 2022, they ran 147 house shows. 
that's down from 347 that they ran in 2019, which was the last kind of year unaffected by the pandemic. And a lot of those are in small towns and small communities and small arenas, and they're not drawing 8,000 fans to these shows. But what they are doing is by running with enough frequency, they're building this fabric of fan bases. They're building this fan base in all of these small communities that are now becoming loyal WWE fans. And that's one of the major reasons I think WWE has such a, a large lead in as far as becoming the market leader in professional wrestling is because they take their product and they bring it to every single part of this country. Um, and AEW, by comparison, doesn't. AEW's product is not particularly well spread out throughout the United States when it comes to a live event business. We know that they run Chicago a lot. They run New York City a lot. They run, you know, Austin, Texas and Dallas, Texas a lot. Um, there they tend to their dynamites tend to stick to the big cities because that's when they can draw the most. The opportunity with house shows is to go to new communities that you maybe don't want to run a dynamite in because you're unsure on how you're going to draw there. But people that are, have never seen your product live before. And, you know, Troy, Ohio is a small town. It's a small city. I think it's like 35,000 people. Um, it's kind of close to Dayton. So it's not necessarily people who have never been to a dynamite before, but it creates the opportunity for fans who are maybe unsure about the AEW product to get themselves familiar with it. I think um, you guys, both of you are very experienced, independent wrestling yeah, people. Like very experienced when, live events. Yes. Yeah. No, the scale. When, <laughs> so when you, when you, when you guys are at indie shows, is every single how, when you're at indie shows, there are people there who are not like super hardcore fans of the indie promotion, correct? A large portion of many, probably the, the majority, the vast majority, I would say, independent wrestling promotions are the, the people who attend those shows, I, at least I can say this anecdotally locally, are people who know a wrestler or someone else working the show personally. Mm hmm. Yeah. You better sell those but tickets. Do you, do you, you see families, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You see families. You see people who are maybe not hardcore independent wrestling fans, but rather people just looking for something to do. Uh, yeah. Uh, so there's three reasons why this is a good idea. Um, they're a new company. I mean, what are they, four years old? So how, there is probably 100 markets plus they've never been in. You know, and WWE can't say that. WWE's been everywhere. Uh, merchandise vehicles. I mean, AEW doesn't have as many outlets as WWE does to push merchandise. And this gives them other merchandise. And then to the independent wrestling anecdote you were making, you know, we don't have statistics here. But from an observation point of view, independent wrestling attendance is pretty up right now. Like, there's is a it, lot of shows doing great numbers. On fire? I mean, there's a lot of would shows doing good numbers. Is, would you say business is hot right now, Gallo? I would say it's warm. <laughs> so, but I would say there's a lot of independent shows that are drawing well, and AEW I think appeals more to the independent wrestling fan than WWE Isn't your does. Your experience biased though, because you're on this this increasingly popular podcast, and that's that's increasing your drawing power. So the, naturally, the events that you are at are are doing better than ever. By the amount of merchandise I sell and autographs I get, which is one <laughs> or none, I don't think that, that that's a true factor. Okay. The um, but I I think people are kind of it. I think in the discourse, right, we're focused on these two things: is a are AW house shows going to be prominent? Are they going to be profit 
makers for Tony Khan or is it a bad business idea? And is it going to help, you know, Jade Cargill get better at wrestling? I think people are ignoring the kind of impact that these can have, especially we don't know what frequency they're going to run, which I think is interesting. They only announced one house show in that press release. They implied that they're going to run more, but they only announced the one in Troy, Ohio. So are they going to run one a month? Do more? Are they going to do less? Um, is this just a trial to see if it becomes more feasible? But I think the idea of bringing your product to different areas and doing more local advertising and just that kind of grassroots growth that I think WWE as an institution of entertainment over decades of time has established itself as, I think, is um, really important. And a lot of these a lot of these smaller communities and these small cities that have these mid-sized venues, they don't have professional sports. They don't have um, they might not have prominent college sports. They might not have concerts and, and, and popular musicians coming into these smaller venues all the time. It's a real opportunity to come to a community and get some local buzz. And yeah, is it going to Troy, Ohio once going to lead to a huge influx of new viewers and new pay-per-view buyers for, for AEW? Probably not. But if you do it consistently in a bunch of different locales, you can grow your fan base that way. So it's I think we get, need, people need to think a bit beyond just in terms of can they sell enough tickets for this to be a, a cost-effective show, one show at a time. I think it needs to look at the broader appeal of kind of advertising your product and introducing your product to markets that have been neglected by professional wrestling. So like Troy, Ohio hasn't hosted a wrestling show in over 10 years, a major wrestling show, at least impacted how show 10 years ago there. WWE hasn't been there forever. And obviously AEW hasn't been there. So it's a whole new opportunity to reach kind of neglected entertainment markets. And I think that's a smart move. I think it's a really interesting concept Especially, I'd really like it, them to stick with it. I'd really like them to see, I'd like to see like, you know, a dozen or more of them this year. And I'd like to see them in different kind of locales because they could draw more if they ran a house show in Chicago. And they could draw more if they ran a house show in New York or Philadelphia. They're choosing to run in a smaller community, I think, for a reason. And I think that is part of it is they want to be able to reach new fans as opposed to if they were to do a house show in Chicago, they'd probably get a bunch of loyal Dynamite viewers showing up, which would be great for the house, but wouldn't really accomplish anything from an advertising perspective. With Jared's background, I expect minor league baseball stadiums to be announced this summer. I wouldn't be surprised at that. You know, I mean, but it has impacted a lot of those and so did Global Force. So, mm-hmm. okay, That's so, a good point. Just to, for some reason why people may be skeptical of, of this idea. So W did, did report actually on, on Thursday, they generated in revenue. This is operating income. We'll talk about that in a second, but in, in terms of revenue, W generated about $24 million in mostly in, in their live events division, which is mostly ticket sales. It's some ads and sponsors as well, but $24 million on that $24 million, they made $200,000 in operating income and in profitability. Um, and we can go back you know, here's here's where the pandemic starts in Q1 2020. But even in this Q4 2019, Q4 Q3 2019, uh, they lost they lost more than a million dollars. 
uh, you go to Q1 2020, uh, 2019, which doesn't involve a WrestleMania, they made again $200,000. Uh, they made a million, $1.4 million in the quarter before that. And the quarter before that, Q3 2018, they lost $1.1 million. And you can look at other, other quarters where the, the margins are pretty thin as well, going back to 2016 or 2017. Um, <clears throat> so wrestling has changed from being a live events to live events based business to a, to a media business. And if we look, we can go back to at least 2002 to get an idea of these numbers. They, they report, they report before this, a, a division called live and TV entertainment. So I'm not sure what part would be comparable, but we do have consistent reporting from 2002 to the present for WWE, where we can see that their media revenues were as a percentage, we're still the majority in 2002 is 70% media revenue. And it goes down a little bit in the mid two thousands and, and it starts to go up more and more of the revenues from media going towards the present from about 2010 and forward, it becomes increasingly media revenue as the live sports rights fees become a bigger and bigger part of that. And as, as live event revenue becomes a smaller part of that. And that's mostly the math, just pushing, pushing everything else. That's not media into a smaller percentage. Um, how, how are the Saudi Arabia shows factored into that chart? They are considered media. Right. And you can see the jump when the Saudi shows start, correct? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that, that adds $100 million a year uh, in, in years that are not affected by the by the. Pandemic. And the new TV deal is also kicking in. For sure. If you look at the jump from like 2016 to 2019. Um, and look, AEW, I think that house show in Jacksonville – is that the only piece of like official AEW um, content that has not been like created for public consumption? Like, um, I'm sure there are some matches that have not aired, but uh, but generally, right? Yes. <laughs> like the dark matches AEW from day one, they were they had a vehicle to to show you the dark matches in arenas and um, pre shows and everything like that. They're all broadcasted. They don't produce content that they are not trying to broadcast somewhere, whether it's on TBS or TNT or whether it's on Bleacher Report live or whether it's on YouTube. So they wanted to make sure that their content that they were producing is in a spot where they can monetize it as content because in today's world, the more hours of content you produce, the more valuable you are as an entertainment company. And so, that's why we didn't see house shows, but I think this is a real sincere attempt to, I think, try some new things. I'm ex- I'm excited about it. Okay. I, think I it guess depends on. Go ahead. Oh, or just say I guess they never aired. Like I know they've done like sh- like events at Comic Cons. Like I think Christopher Daniels, Russell Cole Cabana at some Comic Con, and there was matches on the Jericho Cruise. So right. I there think was there like is some game. content. Yeah, there was like a video game festival that I think it was in Europe that they had matches on. Um, the Jericho Cruise, yeah. Those those are almost like side AEW things. Like as far as official AEW content, I think like outside of that one house show in Jacksonville, which I believe they have taped and has been dangled yes. as like this this Easter egg that Tony Khan has kind of mentioned Tony, before. Tony loves to, to – he's got this this great show that nobody's seen yet. It's yeah. Just, which streaming service wants it? It's, um, it's I heard the Tom McGee-Bret Hart matches on it too. That, that's out there now. We have that. Um, I think it really depends on, on the frequency. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical of this idea that you're going to run house shows. And I think we all agree that these probably won't be profitable. Um, it, it depends on like, – so what, what – obviously the benefits are talent development and marketing, right? Fan development, talent development. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are alternatives to, to this to, – to, to those objectives. Like I, I maybe – 
if wrestlers works the indies more, or you could maybe send them off on excursion like New Japan does in terms of to your partners in Japan and Mexico. Um, like Jade Cargill and Hook, to my knowledge, have not worked the indies. Or if they have, it's, it's been pretty infrequent. Um, and maybe that's that's one way you could have them develop and work a variety of talent that they could learn from while while it having almost no expense to you. I guess there's there's some risk in injury by having them wrestle for others. Um, but there's that. And what's the what's the price of the benefit of running house shows? It has to outweigh the loss of of these events in the short term. Yeah. Um, we actually have a very interesting super chat that I think goes along with that. Louis Ducati asks, do house shows end up getting resistance from people in AEW who were attracted to sign because of the relative lack of travel compared to WWE? So that could be a negative for AEW. Yeah, I, I have no sense of how this how this will work in terms of are you going to have people work more dates? And obviously people are going to be paid for working house shows uh, more than they would be if they hadn't worked house shows. Um does that yeah i don't know we don't know the frequency of the shows so if they're running two or three house shows every weekend like wwe tends to do that's one thing but i doubt that um a lot of the stores at least the scuttlebutt you hear is that a lot of AEW wrestlers would want to work more uh so i don't think like like a brian someone asked me this on Twitter too. And I was like, if Brian Danielson, you know, he was attracted to AW because he wouldn't, you know, the schedule is a little bit easier than WWE. Like Brian Danielson doesn't want to work every house show that AEW produces. I don't think he's going to work every house show that AEW produces. Um, I, I'll be interested to see how they balance it out between like younger wrestlers who could need the development time and your bigger stars. I know like John Moxley was on the, the poster for the, the, um, the Troy, Ohio show. So I assume he's going to be there. So I think what you'll see is you'll see, a, like, let's say they run one a month. You'll see a couple of like the biggest stars. You might see John Moxley and Chris Jerry. I don't know if Chris Jericho will be on one, but you'll, you might see John Moxley and MJF on one. You might see Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks on another one. You might see Hangman Page on one. You'll see kind of their bigger stars at the top. And then a lot of the lower undercard, midcard talent. And I, I think the, the creative and how these shows are presented on TV, if at all, will matter too. I, I imagine an, an AEW audience being a smarter audience who are more aware of the the place that house shows traditionally have held in, in wrestling and that this is an event that, that exists in its own universe on its own island and it has basically no effect on on the program that I watch on television. AEW has a chance if they're going to run house shows to counter that and have things of consequence happen like angles and maybe matches that have some some stakes and some determination to to what happens on television they should be they should be taping these right at an added expense <laughs> but like you could tape but you could tape them like without that much you could even just set up a hard you, cam. You, you could send somebody out there with a camcorder certainly at least yeah, one brandon cut get brandon cutler get him some get him some extra work but well i've heard that argument too which is like dave said this on, on wrestling observer radio and he said like AEW's fan base is more of a smart fan base than than WWE fans, so theoretically though that fan base would be less inclined to go to a house show because they know that it doesn't really matter because they know that if it's not on TV, they if they they know if they if it's not on TV, fans will naturally assume that um, it's not worth their time to go because there won't be really significant storyline progression. I kind of think that you could make an argument for the opposite that AEW's fans being 
hardcore wrestling fans are more likely to be hardcore wrestling fans would also maybe be okay with being like, oh, I don't need to have a huge storyline reason for me to go to the show. If AEW's coming to my town, I think the matches are going to be good. The personalities are going to be good. So I'm going to go out and have a good time that way. Like not necessarily needing that kind of hook from a storyline perspective to, to draw them to the show. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see how fans react to that. And I think you raise a good point, Brandon, that it doesn't have to not have any storyline implications. It could definitely be something where, um, you know, will they have title matches like WWE does? Like WWE has, you know, world title matches and stuff. On I guess Roman Reigns hasn't been working house shows, so that's not a great example. But WWE has title matches and stuff on all of their house shows, and the title never changes hands, but they still promote it as such. And one other thing I would add is, is that if, if you had a, an, an attendance – if you had attendance trends that were going up and up, it would be easier to justify to say, hey, look, our attendance is really great. Maybe we should run more of these events and, and drive in more revenue and merchandise revenue and things like that. And, and attendance for Dynamite, which we have on the screen here, is basically flat over the last year or so. It's not as if it's on an upward trajectory. They're, they're doing in the range of 5,000 or so, sometimes below and sometimes above, obviously. Um, and this is, this is just showing that, that Dynamite is – consistently below Raw and SmackDown. It's not as if they're on some huge uh, upward trajectory. Um, okay. So anything else to add there? No. Okay. Any other super chats related to that subject? Chris Gallo? <laughs> he shakes his head no on mute. Okay. Now it's time for an image that I did not need in my life. It, it appears, what appears to be Bloomberg Business Week has created an image that it looks like it's the, the uh, Chris Gullo thinks this is the ultimate warrior's body with Tony Khan's head attached to it. Um, I can't say like a week before this came out, I did get an email from somebody at Bloomberg. They wanted TV ratings data to maybe make a graphic for like a chart, a TV ratings chart and say, yeah, here, here you go. Sounds, sounds great. <laughs> looks like all the resources went, in, went into making this image though in the graphics department. Um, the, the two big items coming out of this are, this, this paragraph here where the writer writes, AEW is also considering starting a streaming service likely through a deal with its broadcast partner, Warner Brothers Discovery, according to a person familiar with management's thinking, who asked not to be named. Last year, AEW broke $100 million in revenue for the first time, the person says. Um, and I, that's, I, I did do this. That's just easy for me to say. I could be making this up. But I did do an estimate the other week before this article came out, not knowing they were going to report this. And I got about $100 million. So that's believable to me. Brandon, are you the person in the quoted uh, anonymously in the story? I'm not, I can, I, I don't talk about sourcing, but no, I, I'm not, I'm not, the per I'm not a person familiar with management's thinking. Not that familiar. Do we think that's the ultimate warrior's body with the tassels? Gold, uh, gold does. Is, is this all? I thought, what, what makes you think this is ultimate warrior's body? Chris Gall. I mean, because it looks like Ultimate Warrior, and that's also an image that the Look common the casual person that knows a little bit about wrestling would recognize. The vascularity would give it away, because vascularity is pretty unique. It's kind of a fingerprint. If we if we looked at the vascularity of Warrior and some other images, we could probably raise our confidence on this. Um, I have heard speculation that uh, I can't. This is the second Tom McGee reference in five minutes, but I've heard that it also may be Tom McGee's body. It does look like Tom McGee's hair, <laughs> more so than Warriors, perhaps. Um, just a, a couple other highlights from, from this article. Pro wrestling is, after all, as much sport as an elaborate plotted, elaborately plotted soap opera. 
and they say AEW is deploying its own brand of predetermined mayhem to convert diehard fans to its own brand of predetermined mayhem to convert. Oh, I, I pasted this twice. I'm sorry. Viewer, viewers for whom WWE had become just another PG rated bore fest. Khan's formula, more blood spilled, more folding chairs smashed, more swearing and more nuanced storylines. I'm sure WWE loved, loved reading that, that sentence. Um, I think they liked some parts of it, right? More, that more, he's more, more, using more blood bloodshed. and violence things of that nature um when, when tony told his father he was going to hatch a wb competitor his father's reaction are you nuts and they they refer to they use this term that I've, I've now become familiar with tony khan is referred to in this article as a nepo baby ever, ever heard of the, heard of this term before uh, i don't live in enough uh, i don't live in a wealthy enough community i think to be that familiar with it i'm sure it exists in 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 Maybe some nearby communities, but but not not in my humble. I, I guess it's short for nepotism, baby. Yes. Um, which you might argue Vince McMahon himself is a nepotism baby. I'm sure. No, Vince grew up in a trailer in North Carolina. Brandon, come on. Who's his dad? Ah, uh, he was some small business guy that he he didn't even. He meet never met his dad until he was twelve. He had yeah. a deal with Louis Lupton. Damn it! <laughs> Should have killed him. Should have killed him when I had the chance. Um. Uh. The average AEW viewer is more of a wrestling nerd than casual than the W. Sorry, the average W viewer is more of a wrestling nerd than the casual WWE fan. Many of whom don't care to learn the textbooks worth of insider slang that might enrich their understanding of what's happening in the ring. Wrestling jargon rivals the most abstruse corporate speak. Take this lingo, jambalaya. Quote on the go home show. The babyface got a huge pop as he delivered a worked shoot promo, chiding his opponent as a glorified jobber who's garnered massive heat for botching spots ever since he turned heel and left the stable, end quote. Get all that? AEW fans did. This is an accurate depiction of AEW fans? No. <laughs> it's the casual fan that, that embraces WWE and, and, and pours their money into it. It is this nerdy jambalaya jargon speaking AEW fan who make up that different audience. I will say this. It is a impressive amount of work to indicate that AEW is the, is the promotion that uses a lot of jargon in, in special talk and not WWE who can't say words like hospital, uh, title match, um, box. It has to be a, a, the box-like structure, not a box. I, I think box this has like been structure in, in recent months, but right for years. So yes, they, I, I think that's a very specific thing. The, the, I think the author has this has this idea of AEW is a promotion that caters more towards hardcore wrestling fans, fans that are uh, maybe more familiar with some of the insider terms than WWE's wider, more maybe less invested fan base is. Um. But it uses that, I think, and I think there's truth to that. But it's extrapolated to this extreme degree where AEW fans are kind of like in this silo of uh, of, of thought that you have to be in to understand the product, as opposed to WWE fans, which are is is more has this more of a greater mass appeal. You got, you got to do a lot of work to be an AEW fan. It's, it's not not this easy entry like WWE product is. And you know what's funny about this is the irony is that like WWE is the promotion that's really big on like its own history and nostalgia and fans remembering things from 20 years ago. And in a lot of ways, WWE's product itself is harder to grasp for the 
unfamiliar fan, then AEW's much more linear-based storytelling and, and is not relying on a fan to have knowledge of something from 25 years ago. One other excerpt here. The idea for AEW came to Khan in early 2018. After watching the Jaguars lose a playoff game, he went to a party in Beverly Hills where he ran into Kevin Riley, then the president of TNT and TBS, and found out that Riley was considering bidding big money for a W rights package. Riley eventually lost out to Fox. Uh, this is a very familiar story that to me that, that Tony Khan, he, he's friends with Kevin Riley, and that was his sort of into pitching to TNT and TBS. It, it did not... It was news to me that they were interested in bidding on what sounds like SmackDown. Um, and that so that that kind of puts more of the pieces together where apparently he was told by Kevin Riley that they were willing to spend big money on WWE. They didn't get it. And maybe he could build a if you if you want wrestling, I can give you wrestling. So that's that's a, 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 a tidbit to me that I didn't know. Um, did you know that um, one more thing from this article, actually? Masaki Mochizuki is, is, is referred to here as an AEW fighter who's on a backstage monitor. This is, uh, I didn't know that AEW was on a, 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 a Bema. Is that how you say that? The, the network that Noah is on? Did you, did you catch this? This is Bloomberg captions. AEW well, fighters well, on a backstage monitor during a, <laughs> during a match last month in Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah, I had a lot of questions about this. What? And, and what's featured here for people listening in audio is, is the, is a is a is a photo of the screenshot of Timothy Thatcher wrestling Masaki Mochizuki in Noah somewhere in Japan. Somewhere. Right. They had a video package to introduce Timothy Thatcher, and they had Timothy Thatcher's recent victory over Masakai Mochizuki. Um, I believe it was that I want to say it was at their New Year's show, the Noah New Year's show. And uh, like, why wouldn't they just use a screenshot from AEW's television event with like people in the ring? Why did they choose a shot of a monitor backstage? There's clearly some confusion happened here. Um, I, I've, I'm working to confirm. I was not able to confirm that Masaki Mochizuki is all elite. Um, if, if I hear otherwise, I will let you know. Um, that's. I think that's all. Um, just face one more thing. In uh, we do have some numbers here that I'm pretty certain what they are. Uh, w proud. It's obviously it's earnings report. Part of that is they put out an annual report where they are required to to tell us. You're required to tell us the amounts of money that came from your biggest customers. Those who gave you, I believe it's 10%. If somebody gave you more than 10% of your total annual revenue, you got to tell us how much that was. You don't have to tell us who the customer is, but you got to tell us how much of that revenue they gave. So we know that somebody gave WWE, somebody paid WWE $455 million in 2022. Somebody else, $205 million. And somebody else, $110 million. Does anybody know who those three parties are? The first one is NBC Universal, Comcast. The second one is Fox Broadcasting Company. And the third one is the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I, I, I'm in full agreement. Um, so and that tells us. I believe the four, I, I, if, if I had to guess another one, it would be that guy with the green shirt that sits in the front row of every single WWE event. That's a good one, too. Uh, so this tells us $110 million from Saudi Arabia. That comes out to $55 million per event. Um I've always said $50 million, I guess, partly to be conservative. And I'm guessing there maybe there's some extra. I'm sure they're rounding here because they appear to be rounding, at least in this case, to the nearest five. But we do have 183. Anyway, th I think there's some interest maybe that's being accumulated through delayed payments or something like that. Because we, we have had those moments where we've got a huge amount of money on their accounts receivable that apparently is related to those Saudi Arabia events. But anyway, $110 million, two events, $55 million per. 
and then Fox is clearly this 205. And the average annual value of the Fox deal, we understand, is $205 million. Um, we're kind of in the middle. We're in the latter part of the middle of that deal. I think I think the escalators are at the beginning of each, each TV season, so in the fall. But anyway, we won't get into the minutia. And in 455, so that's for everything, Raw, Peacock, and whatever they're getting for everything else, including NXT and like Miz and Mrs. And, and maybe some licensing for Young Rock and things like that. So that's all I have. Anything else to add this week? We can go to Super Chats. Yeah, well, we can go to Super Chats if you want here. Um, we're going to start with Vic Sandu asking, Nick Khan is out, out if he can't sell in three months, leaving Vince with the CEO position and gets out of the paying the sale commission to Nick. That is his guess. Nick Khan's going to have to pay a, a lot a lot of money if he wants to leave WWE in the next five years or in the next couple of years. He, his employment agreement is public record and he's bonus. He has huge bonuses. Uh, basically if he leaves before his five-year term is up, he has to pay, pay back millions of dollars. So I would not expect Nikon to leave WWE before 20, like August, 2025, which is, I believe when his term, what happened, but could he be terminated? I'd have to look at his employment agreement, but probably he probably can be terminated. Yes. Right. Cause I think that's kind of what, Vic here is implying is that I see he has and three months to sell it or else. Well, who it's, I guess Vince can do whatever he wants here, but who would fire him? The board, I guess. And Vince is in control of the board. Yes. I think, I think, Nick, I think at this point, Nick Khan's too valuable of an ally for Vince to fire stock him. Stock price react if Nick Khan was fired. Well, who's he got left to, to, to could Stephanie come back and take over? Barrios and Wilson are sitting right there. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Maybe that's true. Um, no, I think, I mean, look, the, the stock price reacted very badly when suddenly one day on, on January 30th, 2020, 2020, Vince fired Barrios and Wilson, who were the biggest names to investors. Stock price reacted very badly. Stock price would react very badly if he fired Nick Khan suddenly. Uh, wouldn't expect that to happen, though. And one more here, uh, Chad uh, Kemp, uh, he did a super chat without attaching this question, so uh, he did it separately here. He goes, do you guys think it's weird WWE is designing and building a huge new corporate office, not for themselves, but for new owners? The new owners may not want the new offices. I heard it's a long lease, too. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you always want to build value, and that's what you're selling is, is all this value that you're building. Um, but does it, because it's a long lease that you might not want? I don't know. Um I don't know a lot about the headquarters. It's something you can that's get always there. People, big companies can always get out of leases. It happens a lot. I know a lot of big companies that have gotten out of a lot of leases in a lot of very large office buildings in the past couple of years as office use has completely changed in our society post-pandemic. So I wouldn't put anything into like, oh, they have a 20-year lease. Like, doesn't really mean that much. You can always get out of it if you want. Anything else? Any other super chats? We're all done. We are all set. Yes. Okay. At patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, you can sign up and subscribe and get the TV ratings reports nearly every day, as well as quarter hours for the major WWE and AEW shows. Um, been reporting some New Japan and Impact ratings, too. That's the primary place where New Japan ratings are coming out. When Impact doesn't make the top 150 on showbos, that's where they're coming out. Women of Wrestling, as well. Might have an update on that soon. Um, and we'll do a show on Thursday 
Russellomics 30. Uh, that's for subscribers only. You get access to the data and much more. Anything else to plug, guys? No, I mean, you can follow me on Twitter at Jesse Collings. Um, my latest article, we talked about it already on the show, but it's at wrestlenomics.com on AW's house show business and kind of the benefits it can lead uh, when it comes to, you know, advertising the product in new communities. Um, that's right on wrestlenomics.com. You can follow me on, again on Twitter at Jesse Collings. Okay. Thanks mm-hmm. everybody for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co